suddenly the river swept around a bend, and the banks rose upon either side, and the light of Lorien was hidden. To that fair land Frodo never came again. The travelers now turned their faces to the journey. The sun was before them, and their eyes were dazzled, for all were filled with tears. Gimli wept openly. I have looked the last upon that which was fairest, he said to Legolas, his companion. Henceforward I will call nothing fair, unless it be her gift. He put his hand to his breast. Tell me, Legolas, why did I come on this quest? Little did I know where the chief peril lay. Truly Elrond spoke, saying that we could not foresee what we might meet upon our road. Torment in the dark was the danger that I feared, and it did not hold me back. But I would not have come had I known the danger of light and joy. Now I have taken my worst wound in this parting, even if I were to go this night straight to the Dark Lord. Alas for Gimli, son of Glowen. Nay, said Legolas, alas for us all, and for all that walk the world in these after days, for such is the way of it, to find and lose, as it seems to those whose boat is on the running stream. But I count you blessed, Gimli, son of Glowen, for your loss you suffer of your own free will, and you might have chosen otherwise, but you have not forsaken your companions, and the least reward that you shall have is that the memory of Lothlorien shall remain ever clear and unstained in your heart, and shall neither fade nor grow stale. The Way Lesser Inklings is a podcast whose desire is to mine the depths of great literature to identify the good, the true, and the beautiful through examining characters and places and the writings and to pay homage to the great writers, thinkers, and philosophers of the 20th century known as the Inklings. Welcome back to The Way Lesser Inklings. Um, Today, we're going to be going through the chapter that's called Farewell to Lorian. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Rice, and here with me again is my brother, Jake. Hey, there he is, as always. So today, as we we go through this relatively short chapter, I'm going to kick it to Jake to say whatever he wants, take us through the thing. I don't know. I don't, uh, the world's your oyster, Jake. <laughs> go, go for All right. it. I'm in charge for one minute. Uh, we, Yeah, so I'm going to do the quick uh, narrative overview. It is There's not a lot of action in this chapter, um, so we've, we've kind of deemed it as a character-driven chapter. And so I'm going to give the high points of the narrative and then we're going to launch into kind of our character discussions and, and kind of what's going on. And so um, really with the chapter, they're, they're, the party is told that it's time to leave, or at least that the mission needs to continue. Um, not everyone is charged to leave. Uh, there's an offer to stay in Lothlorien by Celeborn, um, but that the mission must be continued. So at least there's a charge laid on Frodo. Um Beyond that, uh, there's a lot of, there's conversation between the company. There's some conversation with Celeborn, Gladriel and the company. There's some conversation with other elves. Um, They're, you know, given gifts, uh, which is a a pretty memorable scene. There's some really important gifts and we're going to talk about those. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then they're given boats, uh, weapons and food for the journey um, since everyone has chosen to go, go along with Frodo. And, um, yeah. And then they, they hop in the boats and sail down the river. <laughs> this is, this is definitely one of those chapters that I don't, I don't think it gets lumped in the, the, the pack of people picking it out as being like, Oh man, what happened there? I think it is because it's relatively short and it does have the gift giving scene. But as, as we've said often, I think this is the kind of chapter that really is like the lifeblood of this podcast mm-hmm. and like what we're trying to do. Cause I, I really, really think there is a lot going on here. And, and I think that it's, it's interesting to look at the way Tolkien has structured the, the saga 
in in kind of like smaller bits where we've we're in book two of you know mm-hmm. Fellowship of the Ring, and and we talked before we turned record on that that book two is really starting to now it's trying to hit its its rising action to where it hits its its climax, and so what's happening is a, a character is starting to come into view really clearly that's really been in the background a lot and and i think this mm-hmm. chapter is really where that starts in earnest we hinted at it last time but i don't think we want to start with him i think i think we nope. wanted to start with Kelborn and probably probably just one more stab at clearing up misconceptions i think about the government of lorian about the elves and and really about how people have an impression of the way this goes that is largely because of the movies you know, mm-hmm. and <laughs> so I, yeah. I know you wanted to park there, and I think this chapter is even more striking and obvious than than the last two chapters about Lorian, about what's going on with their basically their their rulers or their their kingship, right? Right. He's not called a king, but no. he's definitely called the lord or the the ruler. So, right. You can take yeah. it off on Celeborn there. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think it is. It's pretty striking. We talked on it a little bit um, when they come into Lothlorien, but um, he really, I think, Kelborn in this chapter on the from a character side really exhibits his authority in you know in the culture of Lothlorien or in you know in the city of Caras Galifon. But he, yeah, essentially all the action that happens in this chapter, at least all the action for movement, is based on his hand moving. He's the one that summons the party you know, that, um, informs them that it's time to move on the mission, mm-hmm. right? They've had their rest mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, so he's, you know, he's not pushing them out the door in a rude way, but he is right. Like he knows that Lothlorien is a place that you'll stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think he's urging, urging particularly Frodo to move forward, um, and so he, he's the one that takes that action. He's the one that initiates the gift giving. Um, he's the one that initiates the feast that mm-hmm. they have before they leave. Uh, he's also the one that gives them the boats, right? That authorizes his people to give them boats, uh, for, for safe passage down the river. Um, and so it, it's, it's something that, you know, I hadn't, noticed in a long time and probably shaded by the movie a little bit and just because the the mirror sequence as you read this is really powerful yep, yep. um and so it, it kind of engrosses your thought when you've read through the the remaining you know 50 chapters of this book yeah <laughs> and you're thinking back to what happened you're like oh that scene is really important right because, um, because but, Gladriel does have maybe like we had talked about last time like kind of in a vacuum she is the in a way, maybe the more powerful creature in a sense, like as, mm-hmm. as far as an elf goes. But I think that makes what happens in Tolkien's writing that we've talked about often all the more beautiful because what happens here is that, you know, Kelborn is the one that is governing Lorien, right? And, and mm-hmm. over and over, Kelborn is shown as the one that is initiating, that's putting these scenes in motion. And over and over again, Galadriel is shown as Lady Wisdom, where... Mm-hmm. She and and in this chapter, I think there's a couple of things that you don't want to miss. One of them is outside the text that we know just from like the other tales, but the other one is inside. Is that although he does all the, he initiates all that. That Galadriel is the one that 
gives hospitality that she mm-hmm. gives the cup of parting to them and has them drink. Right. And she actually like toasts her Lord, right. And encourages right. him, encourages him to right. not be discouraged when really her songs kind of indicate that she's the one that's dealing with some pessimism yeah. or melancholy. Yeah. the melancholy. I think the other one that's yeah. outside of the text is, is just like an age old trope that, we know from the story that Galadriel is going to leave Lorien and Celeborn is going to stay. And I think it's maybe a subtle nod to, you know, the captain goes down with a ship like that, that he really mm-hmm. is the last one there. He's the, he's the ruler right. of the people. And right. He has, he has to oversee its succession. Right. You know, right. Right. And yeah. And I think it is like, it's again, whether, whether Tolkien explicitly intended that or not, He's giving us beautiful pictures of masculinity and femininity in great power. Mm-hmm. Right? This is like, for for lack of better terms, this is a power couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, not not quite like Benefer or stuff like that. But <laughs> no, no, but 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 in terms of ability um, and status in you know in the world mm-hmm. um, because of their because of their innate power right right? Celeborn's case in the power of war and arms in Galadriel's the power of wisdom Mm -hmm. they're extremely powerful and yet they live in a they've built a beautiful culture that's awe-inspiring even to a dwarf yeah um and you know and and it and it works because Celeborn's clearly the head and Galadriel offers encouragement and wisdom to the head Mm -hmm. and he and he acts on it we saw that in his sharp words at the beginning of the last chapter and Galadriel's soft rebuke and he acknowledges it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It really is a beautiful picture. Yeah. I I think that's important. I I like, I've been, I think proven over and over again and thinking that, you know, real biblical hierarchy sets order in the world. And that's the thing that, that Tolkien is writing about because he is really interested in having a world in order. The the Mm -hmm. evil is always about chaos and disorder in this writing you know, that the, the orcs just hack and slash everything without rhyme or reason. You know, Sauron just tries mm-hmm. to choke out the earth, essentially. Saruman has basically taken his his fortress and turned it into, you know, just a big, almost like a coal-burning picture of, like, the worst excesses of the Industrial Revolution kind of thing, you know, where, mm-hmm. with slave labor and all that kind of stuff. I, I think right. he draws that to extreme to show that, Really, on the other side, good is about preserving. Good is about um, heritage. Good is about all those things. Good is not perfect, as I think we'll yeah. probably circle to at the end, maybe of this chapter. As we talk, you know, parting thoughts, kind of on the culture of Lorien and that sort of thing. Yep. So, were you yep. wanting to move on now to probably probably we'll, yeah. we'll park it a while and talking about yeah. Boromir. Right. The the last thing I wanted to, and I, I can't help it, is there's one quote from <laughs> Kelborn. It. And it, yeah, and it, it's it's just so, uh, it's so reminiscent of the Elven wisdom that we talked about really frequently at the beginning. Yep. You know, with Gildor, uh, with, uh, with Glorfindel even, with Elrond. And so there's, it's, it was really my favorite quote from the chapter, which is funny because it's not really that impressive. But <laughs> uh, he says, when he, when he commissions them to go, he says, I see that you do not yet know what to do. He said, it is not my part to choose for you, but I will help you as I may. <laughs> so we just see more of the elves saying, you need to do something, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. 
<laughs> you know, it's interesting. I had a I had a conversation with a, a guy today who's more experienced than me in some ways, and I was I was asking him for some wisdom, you know, on a situation that the right answers are not apparent. You know, there's, there's some uh-huh. decision-making to it. And it makes me think of it right now is that his approach was just to ask me a bunch of questions about, well, what do you think's happening? Well, I mean, <laughs> what do you want to happen? What, what do you not want to happen? All this kind of stuff. And, and it never, never like picked a path at all. He just, yeah. He, we just talked it out loud. And I thought I should have told him he was a Gildor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Just tell me something, dang it. Tell me which yeah, side of the river on. to go on. <laughs> right. I know. I'm <laughs> Yeah. I'm of the race of men. I need answers quickly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if if Tolkien think like I think he has different kinds of wisdom in the story. And the and the elves' wisdom is always something that is it's really about taking your time. And, you know, I think they show that with the boats. And with Aragorn, that mm-hmm. like it's it's okay when you don't have to make the decision to take a little bit more time to try to make the decision. That you know, right. if you hadn't read the chapter, we can explain that as we go. But I think I think it probably is time to to close the book on that yeah. and and talk about Boromir because I think at this point Boromir is really doing a lot of the moving and shaking in this chapter, even though he doesn't speak very much compared to other characters. Mm-hmm. What he does say yeah. becomes extremely like it should be should be like highlighted in your mind because what we're seeing is a character come unraveled here. And I think, I really think that he doesn't know it yet. I, I think that he doesn't identify like, you know, I've, I know I've said before and and I've heard it from smarter guys than me that sin, sin causes double blindness that not only are you blind to your sin, but you're, you don't even know that you're blind to your sin. Mm. You're you're walking yeah. around. Not only do you not know you're sinning, you don't know that you don't know you're sinning. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, it's somewhere there, and I think that is Boromir. Except that there's a moment in this chapter where there's a fork in the road for him, and mm. he he decides to lie, and you know yeah. I, I think it's devastating. So I, if you want, I'll give you opening comments, and yeah. I kind of have a way to trace this thing through. I right. think so. Yeah. I think I know one of the, I think I know like kind of one of the paths you're going to go on. And I do think there's also um, a little bit of a contrast with Aragorn here. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, one of the things that we know about Boromir from, you know, all the way back uh, in Rivendell is that Boromir is going back to Minas Tirith. Mm -hmm. That's never in doubt. Like that's his path all the way, whether the ring goes there or not. Um, And he makes no claim, like obviously in at the council, he, they're questioning, he says, why not bring the ring? Um, and that's kind of revisited here. Uh, I thought it, there's an interesting contrast too with Aragorn because it says Aragorn was still divided in his mind. Mm-hmm. And so there is a little bit of contrast too with those two men of Bormir knows exactly what he's doing, mm-hmm. you know, why, why like he, but, and yet the ring troubles him. And so that's, you know, I think that's a comment to your sin, whereas Aragorn's divided for other reasons, yeah. not because of the temptation of the ring. Yeah, I think I think with Aragorn, it's kind of calling versus obligation. And yeah, and I think compassion, too. Like I, mm-hmm. Aragorn has a hard time, even though he feels like he has a calling that his destiny 
is to go to Minas Tirith that mm-hmm. he he also even though he doesn't know how he can help him he knows that he wants to help Frodo and is not going to be able to let him walk towards Mordor alone it, mm-hmm. that it, it does it, it again it shows the greatness of him because I I think I think the true Boromir like I think I think the Boromir that is clear-eyed and repentant would would maybe be more that way and I think that that's what's happened is that Boromir his blindness shows that he's so resolute that he thinks that he has such decisive action here that he really is blind because of all of this like the, this chapter mm-hmm. is largely about which way are they going to go right that's that's the big discussion mm-hmm. and are you going to go to Mordor or are you going to go to Minas Tirith because there's this huge river between them and you basically can't yeah. cross the river so you got to pick a side and and Kelborn yeah. helps them out by giving them boats. That's just why I alluded to earlier, so that they can delay their decision because they don't have to pick a side to go on until much later. Mm-hmm. So, essentially, this great question of which way are we going to go? Ultimately, Boromir is the only one that doesn't go anywhere. You know, and the reason for that is because I, I think Tolkien is giving it here is that the sin leads to death, and that. Mm-hmm. That you can think that you're resolute and a true-hearted man, but if you if you give in to lies and temptation, then you lose all of that. And it, I think it's a beautiful redemption at the end of it because Boromir doesn't end that way, but mm-hmm. it also claims his life. And you know, so trying to trace that thread, like it starts it starts with Boromir doing the same thing that he does. His his first line in this is Kelborn saying, hey, which way are you going to go? And Boromir says, as for me, my way home lies onward and not back. I'm not going back. I'm not staying here. There's only one way to go. So they start debating. He puts in his oar. If, if you listen to my advice, we're going to go west in the way to Minas Tirith. But I'm not the leader. You know, mm-hmm. I think I think in some ways that that is like a little bit of a false humility here. Because I, th- mm-hmm. I think what he is doing is almost being passive in a sense and saying, well, I know what I'm going to do, but, and I wish you guys would all do it, but, you know, I'm not in charge of that. Yeah. Throw a hand up. Right. <laughs> right. So you can, you can see the anatomy of it forming, right? That it's this, this confidence and pride in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not even, I don't even need to be part of this conversation really unless I can persuade you that I'm right. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll park yeah. it there for a second because I think you. Yeah, let's something. let's. I do like let's. I want to stop there because so thinking about because uh, we're going to do some other contrasting with Boromir. So here, like contrasting Boromir in Rivendell with with Boromir in Lothlorien, mm-hmm. you know when he's there and he finds out who Aragorn is, right? He he's he doesn't make a. He doesn't necessarily make a plea to Aragorn, but he does. He does suggest to Aragorn that the heir of uh, Isildur and the sword would be a great help to the city, mm-hmm. and that he wishes he would come. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't. You know, he kind of makes a play on the ring, but like that's not really the. He, you know, I think once he gets understanding of what the ring does, he you know he abandons that idea. Mm-hmm. At least we get the idea because he it doesn't come up again until here, right. Right. The only the only nods that we've had is that he's he's more interested or almost like it's it, it you know not in the creepy sense, but we get the impression that maybe he's absent mindedly like 
kind of lustfully staring at Frodo, not not in a not in the the sexual way, but in the way of thinking like Frodo has what I need and maybe he hasn't been able to put that in but it is like that temptation right like his in a sense I think what Tolkien is doing is personifying that that Bormir's eye has been enticed like his his senses are enticed by mm-hmm. this idea and and what's happened is that Boromir that Boromir worships Minas Tirith that, mm-hmm. And this is not in the right. gospel coalition sense of, you know, your family's an idol. It's it's right. not like that. That that really all Bormir he's he's gotten to this point, like he is he's traveled long miles with this fellowship, but mm-hmm. at this point he's so willing to say, Hey, you know, you guys do what you want to. I'm g I gotta I'm going to Minas Tirith. And right. there's really you know, we have to save Minas Tirith. Like in in some sense to Boromir, it's like this quest is kind of dumb. <laughs> like, yeah, we we really should be going to Minas Tirith because that's where it's all at. And and I think it right. is like this elevation where he's off mission now. He's very definitively yeah. off mission. And right, it reminds me of all kinds of characters that go off mission and bad things happen. You know, there's Davidic yeah. stuff here, right? Where Boromir's right. not doing what he's supposed to be doing here. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I think that's where I was maybe seeing a, a connection back to, you know, the Rivendell Boromir who is on mission is like, I, I think he would, he he's making his statement in a, like you said, like kind of in a pouty passive aggressive way. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think the Rivendell Boromir would make a claim on people coming with him to help, right. Help, def- help beat back the enemy. And, you know, this is, this is the gate in which the enemy is trying to get through. Whereas now he's just saying, the city's important. I'm doing that. Like, I don't care about your mission. I don't care about any of you. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going. Because he doesn't make a claim to anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in some way. Like, it, where are the friendships that he's formed? Right, right. It's, he, you know, the, the the spicy way to say it, but also the true way to say it, is that Boromir is not acting like a masculine man here. Bo- Boromir is acting like a sniveling kind of effeminate man, which is really unbecoming. And I, I think that he's, look, this is a danger thing. And it's, it's one of the main things I wanted to bring into this talk is that it's a dangerous thing because for, because Boromir now, he doesn't have his friends to help him because he is they're They're blind to what's going on with him because he's built up this reputation and this capital, right? Mm-hmm his truth and honor is not questioned. Right. Really only one person starts to question it. And I think that's because of the power of the ring, because the ring always is looking to get someone to burn with lust so that they'll take it, enslave them and make its way back to its master. Right. Like that's the idea. And so Frodo is going to be cynical of anyone who's ever looking at him because the ring is, the ring is giving him, you know, it's not wisdom. The ring is giving him a kind of a, a discernment about, hey, this person wants it, you know, right or yeah. wrong. That's what Frodo sees. Right. And Frodo's the only one that sees what's going on here at all, you know, mm-hmm. at this point. Right. Because because right. big man Boromir, who has spoken his mind at every turn, truthfully, without mm-hmm. abashment, right, he, he just says what's on his mind, and that's what builds this reputation for truth and valor, he gets in this soliloquy, kind of where he's he's talking about 
I'll go alone if I have to. It's my duty, which sounds good, right? And then he's staring at Frodo, and he's trying to. He's just he's just staring holes in him. And then he start he talks very softly, and he says, "If you wish only to destroy the ring, then there is little use in war and weapons, and the men of Minas Tirith cannot help. But if you wish to destroy the armed might of the Dark Lord, then it is folly to go without force into his domain, and folly to throw away." And then it says he paused suddenly, as if he had become aware that he was speaking his thoughts aloud. It would be a folly to throw lives away, I mean, he ended. It is a choice between defending a strong place and walking openly into the arms of death. At least that is how I see it. Mm-hmm. So first impressions on that for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think um, I didn't see it before, uh, but it, it kind of comes up now. It is interesting that Frodo is really the only person that is aware of the shift because um, it says Aragorn, uh, you know, Frodo looked at Aragorn, but he seemed deep in his own thought and made no sign that he had heeded Boromir's words, which is kind of suggestive that he's, you know, I don't know that he's either not, I don't think he's not paying attention. I mean, we know that he's still kind of working his, his deal out, mm-hmm. but, but Aragorn is generally on guard for this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there is an element of, uh, the trust that's built up with Boromir at this point, yeah. that there's not been any suggestion of, uh, um, of subterfuge. I just had with a wild fan the theory too. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Look, I'm going to throw this out there later on when Sam is going to get the ring in Mordor. One thing that's going to happen is that he is going to get incredibly enhanced hearing He's he's gonna mm-hmm. start hearing like gurgling noises from Shelob and like hmm. things from way <laughs> far away. It makes you wonder here. Is that like, possible? Is is yeah. Boromir just kind of like whispering here? Like, is it is it something that because huh. it's tuned in? I think it's it's possible because of what because again of that ring. Like the ring's desire. The ring is a character, right? The ring's desire right. is always to entice yeah, it wants, enslave and to break apart that's right. right it wants to break apart so maybe it maybe it sees a ability here to you know to seize on because it is weird that aragorn aragorn would have been all over that because there's two real problems with what boromir does here and i think this is mm-hmm. this is tolkien saying i don't even think i don't think it's foreshadowing now this is tolkien saying mm-hmm. like there's a problem that that quest standing on the edge of a knife that gladriel is talking about that's this right here and yeah. the reason is because Boromir lies, right? He was definitely not going right. to say throw lives away. But the other thing is that right. Boromir is now actively against the mission, right? Yeah. He he has decided this mission is stupid. Like, that is folly to do that. And so what we're going to do is, like, it would be way better to do what I think is right. And, and that's what mm. we're going to have to do. And right. that's an evil thing. It's wicked, right? He, he's... He's not sworn oaths, but there are there are basically you know agreements and 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 the bonds of friendship in place here that put this out of bounds. This is orc talk, really. Mm-hmm. This is divisive. Um, you know, this is your this is your um, back row Baptist who's plotting schemes against the pastor to try to you know, break off a faction of the church. That's what Boromir's doing right now. And it's, he, he mm-hmm. and, and it causes a cancer, but fortunately it can't go outside of him, even though it, it, you know, it brings the breaking of the fellowship that we'll see. 
and it, here it is yeah. right here. I highlighted it, triple yeah. underline it. Like this, right. this for me in the chapter was, I I see exactly. And and then when I started to see it, I saw this paragraph right here is the heartbeat of the chapter. Where really, in a sense, everything else is kind of in contrast to this, or kind of alongside mm-hmm. this, because everyone yeah. else, because Gimli has a moment later where it's really the exact opposite of this. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, it, right. you know, Galadriel in the last chapter has done something that's the exact opposite of this, 100% right. the opposite. And so it sticks right. out because contrast is yeah. a really important thing to use when you're, when you're trying right. to bring the characters along. Talked a long time. Right. <laughs> yeah. You go. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. Cause he, right. He's, it is like Galadriel. We spent a lot of time talking about her facing temptation, um, you know, and speaking her temptation openly and then rejecting it, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and, and so, right. What, what Boromir's doing is facing his temptation and lying about it and trying to, and trying to cover up his temptation, which is exactly what, right. What sin mm-hmm. or, you know, what, what it wants to do. It wants you to lie about it so you can stew in it and grow in it, mm-hmm. you know? And then we're going to, we're going to see, Gimli, um, right. Who's tempted to stay. Like he falls in love with Lothorian. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kelborn offers for them to stay. Uh, and you know, Gimli's broken hearted at the leaving, mm-hmm. but he speaks it openly and says, right. He's, we'll get to it. Um, but yeah, right. Like, why did I even come on this quest? <laughs> if I knew there was going to be such heartbreak. In it? <laughs> um, yeah. And his that's friend him, encouraged that's him. him. Yeah. But yeah, and and but he speaks it and says right, essentially saying I I want I'd rather stay. But he's committed to the mission. He opens up to Legolas, right, which is a really important part of that friendship, right. He opens his heart to Legolas. You know, it it occurs to me also that I got a piece wrong. So there there's a piece that Gladriel says that I really had three impressions of it, and well, I only had two until I was a big dum dum, and I figured out number three here. So. Okay. First, the first thought was Bombadil. So, see if you can catch it. <laughs> uh, you're, now you're now you're starting. Now we're starting to be convincing that he's a Luvatar because he's everywhere. <laughs> Look, I'm not putting out there that Bombadil is omnipresent. <laughs> Maybe in the book. <laughs> so she says, good night, my friends. Sleep in peace. Do not trouble your hearts overmuch with thought of the road tonight. Maybe the paths that you each shall tread are already laid before your feet, though you do not see them. Good night. So the reason I obviously first thought Bombadil was this idea of like the keeper of the land, that she's basically go to sleep and don't worry about anything happening. You know, Bombadil had told them to heed no nightly noises. Kind of this this idea of we're in the domain here and we have power. It's yeah. Don't, don't be, you know, don't just busy head it. It's going to be fine. You're going to have time. I think the second part was the almost, almost like a summary of Ephesians 2.10 that says, you know, we are Christ's workmanship um, made to walk in the works that he has laid before us. Like this kind of idea that there's a destiny involved and, and the compare and contrast being that, you know, Aragorn is going to wisely choose his path. Frodo is going to wisely choose his path, even though those those steps have been prophesied and put out. Bor- mm-hmm. Boromir, the one who doesn't rest in faith here, that 
he's the one whose path ends in death, essentially. But then I think I see it right here is that that really this is before the paragraph I just read about Boromir, and Boromir just doesn't listen to wisdom. Like what he what he should have done was have peace, and instead what he's doing is scheming, and. Mm-hmm. I, I I see it, and I I just think Tolkien Tolkien is so good at constantly drawing back attention to because he likes the world as being a symphony symphony and and harmony, right? And then when mm-hmm. temptation comes in and when evil comes in, it's it was really like a discordant noise. And I think that's Boromir in the section, right? Is that it says the fellowship like Legolas stays with them to be able to to talk. You know that they're gonna they're gonna comfort each other and talk, but Boromir is has pulled himself out. He's kind of in a sense like Melkor in the beginning, where he's he's doing his yeah. own music. He's he's right. clashing gongs and against everybody else, and it it really sticks out. Yeah, there you go. The, yeah. I said Bombadil. Yeah. <laughs> yep, <laughs> we did it. You did it. Yes, <laughs> it'll it'll happen again. I'm I'm sure confident. it probably will. <laughs> Oh, I don't man. know if Tree Beard's going to escape without some bombadilla. <laughs> no, he will not. <laughs> um, well, so yeah. So then, do you want to move into um, some of the contrasts? Then, like, that's a good yeah. place. I know we've talked a little bit about some contrast with Aragorn yeah. that um, I wasn't really thinking about until we until we started. Uh, I know we talked we talked a little bit about some contrast with Gimli. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to explore that a little more? Yeah, I think I think there's there's two big things I see with Gimli. One one is that Gimli sees he's faced with severe temptation in this chapter from his own mouth. Like he says that this is the worst wound he could have taken. That that he fell completely in love with the place and with the lady. Right in, in the sense of he he was. It's almost like generations of enmity were wiped away by her kindness. And it, it's like, it's the, the love of unity in a sense, right? That, that's what's happened is, is that this peace has brought in some, something that he wants to just hold on to. You know, it, it yeah. reminds me of a few times in my life where, you know, maybe I remember one, we, we had a deal years and years ago. I think it may have been Hannah's graduation party, like graduation from college. And there was a bunch of, you know, cause she went through the same, you know, college we did. And so yeah. saw a bunch of old people I knew from the past and, you know, we had some good food and we were sitting, the weather was perfect. And I think kind of everybody there just remember that night as just being like, man, that, that was a great night. You know, what an mm-hmm. awesome night that was. And then it's a mistake to try to grasp on and try to recreate it. Just, it doesn't happen. And I think, I think Gimli, mm-hmm his temptation is just to try to grasp on and hold on, but that's not what he can do. That's not his mission. And I think in contrast to Boromir, Boromir does not say his temptation out loud. He whispers and he lies about it. But also because of that, Boromir doesn't have the chance of getting the correction and the encouragement from his friends, which Legolas jumps right in and tells Gimli like, Hey, you've done right. That, that really you're going to be rewarded because you're going to be able to look back on this memory with complete peace, with, with light, with, with all good feelings because you didn't break any bonds of fellowship that this was a great moment that you get to look back on untarnished because you've done the right thing and you've, you fulfilled Mm -hmm. your, your duties to your friends. 
and that you're yeah. not afraid of darkness. And I think it is a parable. You know, I don't want to go there yet because I, I was want to save that because I, I know we'll talk about the the farewell to Lorian in that sense in the culture. Yeah. But I think that's that's right. that's probably what I wanted to say about Gimli is that Gimli Gimli like temptation is bad. Like you know, mm-hmm. it's it's a temptation to idolize and to hold on to something that would be sinful, you know, to gain something good by ungodly means is sinful. And that's what Gimli's tempted to do is to, to deny his friends and hold on to his comfort yeah. and he won't do it. And yeah, you know, Boromir's grasping for that and, and hiding it and being deceitful. And so right. he can't get any help. There's, there's no help to come because he, he won't, yeah. he won't face up and people aren't mind readers except Frodo with a right. super hearing from the ring. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've adopted yes, that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, there is something to it because he he's the one that hears the plodding feet in the darkness. Mm-hmm. He's the one that hears the uh, the creature on the shelf of the rock. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> you know, that's coming later. Uh, it's Gollum. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was I was trying to be coy with it. But. Well, I don't think Gollum is is very loud. Like you know, he is right hard to well, he, catch and he sly. escapes the elves. Yeah, right. Like he's he's in their domain, has crossed the river. They don't know he's there, and he's climbing the tree. So like, wild eye theory proven. <laughs> I'm saying there's merit to it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying fully it's proven adopted. in that instance. Yeah, <laughs> it has some merit. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so I mean, I was giving contrast. you Aragorn on yeah. purpose, right? You gotta, you gotta have it. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> do we? Uh, so now, do you want to talk about Galadriel? Yeah, I think I think that's probably time. Um, let's let's do the gifts and and then kind of talk about okay. what she's done. I, I think there is that contrast, but I want to. I don't want to use all our time and forget the gift giving. And she has to go to those mm-hmm. gifts. I think I think you summed them up as as food, raiment, and we got heirlooms and weapons, essentially. Mm-hmm. And and then there's there's a special one for Frodo that mm-hmm. that doesn't really fall into those things. And I think it's the most galadriel gift of all of them. You know, in in a sense, mm-hmm. it's the gift of piercing wisdom, or yeah, you know, illumination, which is which is that idea of of seeing the unknown and and piercing darkness, you know, kind of the opposite that the darkness couldn't pierce her, but she can pierce the darkness and, and Frodo gets that gift. So probably there it's, it's to prep them on the way, the hospitality of Lorian, which I know we're going to circle back to at the very end here as we, we do that farewell. Um, yeah. Gift of, she gives, she gives Aragorn um, important gifts that are about, um, about legacy. Really? She, she gives mm-hmm. him a, uh, a sheath, for um Andril, you know the, right. the sword that is a you know it's a blade of lineage right it's 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 a legendary sword and she yep. she speaks a blessing over it right that that even in the darkness this blade will never be broken again you know right the, this idea of like i think i think in a way that swords and that sort of thing in this kind of legendarium always almost indicate the man to Right, that yeah, that it's a characterization. It's the flame of the West, like it's the right. It's the 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 thing that's sprouting to life, like it's been reforged, and it's called the flame of the West, just like Aragorn has sprouted out of obscurity to be mm-hmm. a light 
to the people and that this blade is not going to break even if it falls. Kind of the idea that Aragorn's will is not going to break. He's going to be tested, yeah. but he's going to stand. And it's going to be protected. He's protected by all the free people, but especially the elves. Like He has a long history with Gladriel, and all his hope is is based on Gladriel's granddaughter. You know, that right. Arwen, Arwen is Gladriel's granddaughter, and that's that's Aragorn's ultimate hope is that he wins and gets the girl, that he slays the dragon right. and gets the girl. Right. And so he pines he, for that, and, and she, he, she gives him the stone, right? And, the, and right. the stone is basically that idea that this is the token of, of that hope in this house. And it's, it's, it's all yeah. these things coming to being, right? That you're the elf stone, right. Estelle, like right. be your name, be who you are. It's, right. it's really cool and very steeped in it, Christianity. So, yeah. Yeah. And then, and, and then the, the middle earth lore too, cause it, it ties him, I think in, there's a couple things going on with the stone as well. Like it, it ties him back all the way back to, uh, is it El Elros? Mm-hmm. Is that it, so? It ties him all the way back to the parting, right? It's the elf stone. So, like, there's this strong bond between the Numenorians and the elves because they're descended in a similar line. Um, and then I think too, we we talked about it in the Knife in the Dark. This green stone, mm-hmm. you know, that Aragorn spends time talking about, right? The stone of Baron, mm-hmm. and you know, and so now this is the stone that he wears on his breast in the same way that Baron did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's tiebacks there too, that those like, they're not given to us explicitly here. Um, but there's a reason that Tolkien pauses on those things earlier on, uh, and why, you know, he's built a, he's built a mythology here. And so, yeah, that, that token from Gladriel again, like expressing her wisdom and her knowledge in the past, in the house and who he is and what he's supposed to do and encouraging him to do it. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that's really good. Um, just a short note: I don't think we plan on doing it, and so I don't want to spend much time. I think it is notable that she gives Sam um, tokens of hope for the future. Like she gives mm-hmm. him, she gives him a gift of like a, a dust and a seed for gardening that basically have no mm-hmm. relevance to the quest whatsoever. Except that Sam's yeah. Sam's real role in this quest is just unstoppable hope. That yeah. And and I think it's interesting that Galadriel pierces that, you know, she sees with wisdom that, he, you know, Sam didn't give in to temptation either because of duty. Right. And, exactly. and so because of that, he's rewarded with the gift that most fits him, which is, is hey, there is something at the end of this that you're going to rebuild. And you're going to rebuild as a wiser hobbit, you know, that's going to be a leader and not a gardener mm-hmm. anymore. But, the, right. but really... You know, in allusions to all kinds of gardening, <laughs> and that's intertwined right. with Christendom too. So probably, right. probably Gimli, right? Yeah. So what what gift would a dwarf ask of the elves? <laughs> he he, I don't think flatters her at all. I think that he truly does love what she's done and the kindness. It's it's a it's a real thing that we should seek with with good people, with like minded people. We should seek to reconcile any differences and she did it by speaking directly but softly right and by taking Mm -hmm. up and so he says nothing except to you know to look on your on your beauty one last time you know Mm -hmm. and i think she she is it's not amused i think i think that she sees his heart and you know that she tells him to name his desire and yeah he makes a really audacious request to to have a lock of her hair, like a single hair, right? Right, 
And she asked right. what he would do with it. And he says, you know, he says to encase it in crystal and keep it as an heirloom of his house, right? That mm-hmm. that it would show, and it's interesting that it, he would use all the skill of the dwarves that it would show um, the pledge of goodwill, that, yeah. that it would be a token of the reconciliation between good people. I think Gimli just yep. gets it now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, he is, he is simplifies the fellowship of the ring in this chapter, you know, right. And it, it's, it's the power of, of true unity and love and kindness. It's an he's, amazing he's, thing. He's the new Durin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he, you know? and he gets that kind of prophecy that his hands will just, he gets the great prophecy that his hands will have gold right. running through them, but that gold will have no mastery over him. Right. What a what a thing yeah. for a dwarf. Like in a way, almost the ultimate dwarf. Yeah. The yeah. Durin. That's a really good take. It. Yeah. The one who had all the yeah. commerce. Right. Right. But and he and who had the commerce and who but who had the friendship of the elves. Right. Gimli's the one who opens the friendship with the elves. Mm-hmm. Um. And then becomes best friends with an elf. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like. <laughs> So, I, and I think, yeah, I think there's shades of Durin. Like, it, it's, again, Tolkien doesn't make light matter of the friendship of Moria and Holland. Mm-hmm. That that friendship was deep, right? The writing on the doors in Elvish. Mm-hmm. Like, Durin was friends <laughs> with the elves. Right. Like, not just for commerce, but because they're friends. Yeah, and I think that evil got between them. And, right. look, it's, it's a cautionary tale. It's... It should not be so, right? I, I know that we mm-hmm. see it all. Look, it's for people that are nerdy like me and have been <laughs> in, like, you know, our particular most niche group of Christians ever, like the reform post millennial yeah. theonomist kind of Christians. It's it's been a rough week for that kind of thing. There's been a lot of infighting, and I think not a lot of stopping and listening. You know, not a lot of trying to to speak kindly and to speak truthfully to to understand the other person's argument and to interact with that fairly. I think in this case, like it's a reminder that the, the greater the friendship and the greater the unity, the greater the division and fall whenever you give into it. Like the, the dwarves and elves wrongfully fell out, you know, it's, it should not have caused generational gaps because, you know, Duran's Bane was awakened that it should have, it should have brought them together in humility to, you know, to try to rebuild a civilization, to try to to build, but it didn't. And here, here's right. the stirrings of what was lost being made renewed. And and I know right. Nate Wilson always talks about good stories always have death to life in in over and over again, right? And mm-hmm. and this is it was the death of the the mountain and the wood, but then yep. the rebirth through through the yep. immortal that's going to pass away in this story. And the mortal who's going to live and to carry on that that friendship. It's a right. It's a beautiful thing. That's I think that's why we wanted to talk about that one. Yeah. And then we got Frodo, and I. Yeah. I think it's. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably less, but it also clearly leads us into that kind of talk about Galadriel and sending off Lorien. That. Yeah. You know, Frodo's gift, as everyone knows, is a real simple one that he gets a file, that that she says that it caught the light of Arendelle's star that's set amid the waters of her fountain and it will shine brighter when the night is about you. May it be a light to you in dark places when all other lights go out. Remember Galadriel and her mirror. 
there is only one other person in this company that that knows where he's going and he's not braggadocious or trying to influence anyone very notably frodo has the greater mm-hmm. wisdom in this chapter as he's shown numerous times that yeah. he trusts aragorn he's not trying to sway anyone i think what frodo is trying to do is to get his mind around what's what's coming because there's only one way for yeah. him and he knows yeah. that right he's he's extremely focused on the mission mm-hmm. you know and i think you know that i that that piece of gandalf is fully imparted to him now mm-hmm. yeah you know yeah he man i i i love him he he's he's amazing and it and it transitions here because when we last left frodo with gladriel he mm-hmm. saw her as as terrible and bright and you know terrifying and she makes her decision to deny temptation and here we get a hint that you know when frodo takes it he says that he saw her standing like a queen great and beautiful but no longer terrible he bowed and found mm-hmm. no words to say it's going to tell us later that that you know he's he's never going to see lorian again you know that this is a true parting from lorian a true farewell to lorian from frodo and galadriel yeah. here is doing the hard job of fading away yeah <laughs> right kind of sandwich with songs yeah. right that yeah. right yeah yeah so the first song you know is you know sung in the common tongue uh you know and it's yeah it's it's a lament on essentially that um you know that her days of dominion are over Mm-hmm. you know i think in a sense in that um that her her place and her you know her desire for p- the place are fading mm-hmm. and now and now she's even like how will i even get back to the place where i came from mm-hmm. yeah and and so she she sings that and then as they are parting and they're they're on the boats on the river a a song comes that they can hear on the wind that's in high elvish which is not a language spoken in Middle Earth. It's it's kind of the the Valinor language, and and Tolkien translates it interestingly. He puts the Elvish, which may have been him showing off, but he, he puts, right. He, he puts <laughs> I think so. He puts the Elvish there in um, in stanza, and then he just puts the translated to what in the Kinsey of the book is the common tongue. Um, he, mm-hmm. he puts that underneath just slammed in a paragraph where in a way, like I know this stuff is intentional. It's really kind of difficult to read. You know, you, mm-hmm. you don't get, uh, you don't get flow. It doesn't seem really like a song, almost like the translation can't do justice to the, to the yeah. beauty of the, the real words. Like in a sense that that Valinor script is, is far beyond what can be conveyed in English, you know, it, or in the common right. tongue. And it right. and it really is like almost a conclusion of that song that's all about how, you know, Valinor is not gonna be remembered anymore because it's been separated from the East. And, you know, it's about the star and it's about Varda, who Galadriel, you know, from early on was one that loved Varda and was a, a helper, mm-hmm. you know, the gardener that you know, she loved all that, tending the trees. She was she was always drawn to that in the era of the trees just an interesting melancholy thing. And I I think that transitions nicely into 
Lorien, which in a sense it, yeah. it's it is a place that's hard to get a feel for because on the one hand it's it's beautiful, majestic, good, um, mm. just you know magical, but then in another yeah. sense it's isolated, melancholic, defeatist in a way, you know, fading. Right fading right. seemingly into obscurity kind of the opposite of the flame of the west it's almost the the hazy woods yeah. that wants right. to just sail away right and it's it's hard to do yeah. stuff with that i do think tolkien yeah. believed in the long defeat in a sense the the mm-hmm. idea that you know that the world was getting increasingly untenable and yeah <laughs> there yeah. there needed it, to be a escape hatch i think that's the longing for right. valinor piece of it right yeah, and I I I agree because I I see that there as well, and I think, you know, when <clears throat> when we were talking a little bit this week, it 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 reminds me like Lorien reminds me of, um, like a monastic culture, mm-hmm. you know, sort of a monastery idea. It's like when when you're reading church history, it's this same sort of juxtaposition where the monasteries did great things for people, they right? They increased theology. There was lots of Bible translation that was extremely important in history that helped the churches, that helped the people. They made uh, a lot of monasteries, made great beer, great bread, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and like those are those are also important culture markers. Um, at the same time, right, their disengagement <laughs> creates a lot of problems as well, yeah. where there, there's no engagement with the civil sphere, uh, which is a sphere that has a great deal of direct input into our lives. Mm-hmm. And so, right, I think I think you can you can enjoy and criticize all at the same time and say they did really great things and they did great things for us and we get to stand on some of the great things they did, but they also missed the mark in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it really does make me wonder if you know because his Tolkien a lot his his formative um, younger years happen in he, we've talked about it early in the podcast. It, it's hard to imagine what he saw in World War One. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's it's horrors that I think people in our generation just just can't even begin to comprehend or get our mind around. You know, the death, the disease the the just the despair the boys dying you know just death death all around and I I think Tolkien here there's there's almost a response right that he's writing about he's writing about the War of the Ring that's a just war it's a necessary war because there's an aggressor in Sauron who's trying to dominate the lands he's trying to take them one by one mm-hmm. it almost seems to me in a way that Lorien and and the civilizations like it are almost like this this idealistic way of the the way he wished maybe Europe had been before World War One because World War One was not an aggressor war it was a war caused by cascading treaties essentially mm-hmm. like one treaty was broken broken which brought some countries into conflict which had treaties with other countries to be allies and eventually what happened was there was <laughs> there was these countries that were obligated legally to go to war with each other because of these broken treaties. And it just caused hell in Europe, you know, desolation. I think when he writes about desolation around Mordor and the sickness 
I think that he probably is drawing pretty directly from the trench warfare and just the the hellscape of what happened to the land is as people just destroyed it, you know, in, mm-hmm. in death. And it, and it's almost like Lorian in a way is kind of a response to, Hey, don't get involved in entanglements because then you have to do stuff. Like we'll kind of see the opposite of that with Gondor and Rohan later that there's, mm-hmm. there's a treaty, you know, there's a, there's a law that they, they yeah. have to aid each other. They're allies. But when right. that's an against an aggressor, that's a good thing. I think Lorian does err here by th- this is not the time. Like you have a you have an aggressor that's trying to cover the world in darkness, and right. Lorian's acting like they don't want to get involved in the the squabbles. It's not squabbles yeah. at this point. Right. <laughs> right, right. This is a yeah. It's a it's a challenge in domination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so I see that I see that as being a problem. I know we I know we hit that a lot in the chapter that's called Lothlorien. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think that there's a warning here. You know, I see a warning. Look, I don't, you know, biblically speaking, I don't care what eschatology someone is. I really don't. I, but but what I do see is that there is a danger. There's a danger in just being <laughs> melancholic all the time. Like, well, mm-hmm. I mean, we're all just gonna fade away now. You know, it's it's done, <laughs> and and, yeah. I, and I think in a sense, you know, Galadriel fading away from her terror and the the idea of becoming a tyrant is a very good thing. But this this whole culture that's just disconnected, I, I think that there, even if Tolkien didn't intend it, there's there's a critique in this of like why it, they say very pointedly that they've never outfitted any strangers in the in their garb before like they've never given these cloaks before and and like why not <laughs> right why yeah why not at least why not the dunadine right like yeah why, why not somebody uh, like it can it can right. help people They're really helpful right but, i had the exact same thought when i was reading that it was like uh, it's, and they it's obviously like, spun it's really them up stunning. when they walked into lorian right it's not like it takes years right. to make them like <laughs> right yeah it's a few days yeah, and it's, I mean, it talked about, too, just, like, I think the giving, some of the, like, um, giving of the food as well, it's kind of the same idea, is, like, no one's ever tasted Limbas, because mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's contained within their culture, and it's, like, that that could be a great help, even if you don't send warriors, it's, like, how great a help would that be on the front lines? Right. <laughs> Right, you know, of the battle. One cake keeps a man on his feet for a whole day, like a uh-huh. hard labor. Man, right? Send a few yeah. of those out. They're about to siege Gondor, right. you know. Or, I know, <laughs> I know. I had, yeah, that was exactly where my head was at. And it's like, you can, you can, at the, you, you can at the same time appreciate the beauty of the culture that they have interwoven, mm-hmm. the beauty of their craft as right as bakers, mm-hmm. as crafters. Um, as uh i think as an operating society in a hierarchy mm-hmm. uh, those are all great and yet you can sit here and go where are you <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> i mean that's definitely what i thought and and i you know i think i think we've covered it pretty well did you have any last tidbits yeah. here no nope, not for that i think it is part. probably it is probably time for the the thoughts to roam with and I can't remember who yeah. went first last time. I went first last time. Okay, so I'm a fairly certain. So <laughs> I'm obviously I'm obviously going to go back to Boromir here, and 
yeah. I'm gonna have to do a little bit. So there's a piece that I intentionally saved for this last part. And so when we left Bormir, giving into temptation, lying, and then I think we see some some effects. And my thoughts are on with I'm gonna tie it together at the end here. Bormir, when he's being told of Fangorn, like this this enchanted forest, Boromir says, Ah, mm. that stuff's old wives' tales. Like those are those are something that we don't even worry about. Nobody's ever visited to prove or disprove those legends. I'll be fine. I'll be able to make it to Gondor even if I wind up in in uh, Fangorn. And Kelborn kind of upbraids him and says, "Then I won't say any more." <laughs> this, this thousands mm-hmm. of year old man who's seen you know elf who's seen the whole world. But he says, "Do not despise the lore that has come down from distant years, for oft it may chance that old wives keep in memory word of things that once were needful for the wise to know." My thought to mm-hmm. Rome with is this: it's a very dangerous thing to start thinking that you've got your path all planned out. And that there's nothing that can deter you from it, and that you're not going to believe any warnings that anyone gives, because what Boromir does here is he becomes in his delusion and in his lies, he becomes a strict naturalist, and he doesn't believe in any powers other than basically the stone walls of his city that he has to get back to. And there's only one God that he's praying to now, and that's the God of the One Ring, because all the while, just like every Darwinist ever. They're wildly inconsistent. While Fangorn Forest's old wives' tales, this golden ring is going to give the power to give mastery of his city. And my thought to Rome with is we cannot live by lies. We we have mm-hmm. to use spiritual insight. We have to see that the, that the only power truly is in the Lord. And also, there is a lot of wisdom that gets passed down from people that are seemingly unimportant to you that we mm-hmm. we stand on the shoulders of thousands of years of people learning in this world and it's really mm-hmm. silly to think that we have nothing to learn from the tales that have been passed down from our family so that's my thought yeah. to run with a little longer than usual yeah. but i've been sitting that's, on that one <laughs> yeah no that's that's really good um yeah i think mine is going to be on gimli i think he's i think he's also really interesting in this chapter and i think it is um that we can still, so if we recognizing all the things that we've said about Lorien, right, is we can still go and enjoy the beauty of whatever the civilization that was crafted, um, you know, what, whatever that would look like. Essentially what I'm, I think with Gimli, what I, what I see is, is to, you know, to hide it in his heart, right? See something good and hide it in his heart and then get back on the mission, Mm. you know? Um, and, and so I think, I think really that's, that's my succinct (laughs) way of, of, uh, thought to roam with this time. (laughs) I like that. I like that. Yeah. Treasure, treasure the good things, enjoy the good things, but don't, don't turn them into, you know, temptations that trip you up. That's really good. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I hope all our eight listeners, I don't know, somebody, (laughs) Somebody told wow. me the other day, tens of people heard me. <laughs> so I hope this uh, episode was enjoyable for all of those people. <laughs> Join us again next time on The Way Lesser Inklings. 